Welcome to Preflections, a series of conversations brought to you by Pentopicon in which we look through the cracks of the present in order to reflect on possible worlds to come. Last week I had the pleasure to have a chat with Bert Brueggemans, officially head of Antwerp's fire service, but he's so much more than that. Bert is what you would call a born systems thinker. You'll notice in our conversation how he effortlessly jumps from the societal to the individual, from technologies to culture, from politics to academia and back. If I'd have to come up with one central theme to our conversation, I would say it probably is this notion of societal continuity. It seems especially relevant and timely amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, which, as you'll hear, we refer to quite often during the talk. Our apologies for the audio quality as we were recording from our homes, but nevertheless, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Bert as much as I did. Bert Bruggemans. Hey, Nick. So good to have you on our podcast. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Bert, uh, perhaps before we dive into this, um, you could tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Um, you were formerly trained as a, as a nurse, but you're also manager of a fire department of one of Belgium's largest cities. Uh, hence also someone trained in managing complex emergency situations. How did you roll into all of this? <laughs> okay, how did I roll into all of this? Um, uh, when I was 18... Um, uh, about 20 years ago, I, I wanted to do something for the community. And uh, I was thinking, what can I do for the community? Um, and together with some friends, we joined the fire service. Uh, first, I joined as, an, uh, as a paramedic um, because I was studying uh, as a nurse. And then um, afterwards, I joined the, the fire service. Um, we, we did uh, both the ambulance and the, and the fire service. So uh, it was a very uh, nice combination. And I did that uh, during my studies. Um, so I studied nursing, I studied uh, emergency uh, medical care, and then I went to university to study uh, management of hospitals. Uh, I was very interested in that. Uh, but after my studies, while I was working at the University of Leuven, um, I saw an, um, an ad for uh, uh, becoming an officer in, uh, in, in Antwerp, Antwerp Fire Service. And um, uh, as a fireman, um, Antwerp is, is like a very interesting place to be. What makes it so interesting? Yeah, you have the combination between uh, between the city. Uh, it's it's a medium sized European city. It's not. Uh, we, we think in Antwerp that it's a very big city, but but actually it's not that big of a city. But we do have one of the biggest ports in um, in in Europe, um, and uh, and and one of the biggest industrial areas uh, with a lot of petrochemical uh, in, uh, complexes and, and industry. And the combination of, uh, of the city and the port of Antwerp, which we both protect as a fire service, is very interesting. Um, you, have, uh, you have effects in the, in the port uh, that affect uh, the city, and then you have the, the city where a lot happens, and, and, uh, and you have a lot of activity as a fire service. So it's, um, it's a dream uh, coming true, uh, working in the fire service of Antwerp. Um, and then, yeah, I, I had a, a very... Um, uh, a quick career in Antwerp. Um, uh, first, I started as a, as a fire officer, leading about 100 people uh, and, and going to the, the bigger incidents. And then I, I rose to the ranks. Um, I became uh, an uh, area commander and then uh, the, the head of operations. I, um, I led the, 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 
the, the transfer from uh, the city fire service to a f uh, like fire region uh, in, in 2015, the whole Belgian fire service changed from a, a municipal fire service to, uh, to fire regions. And so I did that uh, change operation. And um, then I thought, okay, maybe it's a good idea to become the fire chief. And my uh, predecessor, he, he went on retirement. And then I thought, okay, I have to do this. Um, I have to uh, try it. And then uh, I, I managed to, um, to uh, convince the board uh, to, to have me as their fire chief. So that's a quick summary of my career. So from... Um, uh, like a childhood dream and, and joining the fire service as, as, as a young, a young uh, person, not a teenager anymore, but a young, a young guy. Um, and then uh, via uh, like a short time in, in hospitals, going to the fire service is like a real dream coming true. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. What was it from your, um, from your training as a, as a paramedic that um, really served you well, uh, I would say becoming a, Head of a of a fire department was it was it working with people was it the medical training what 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 was it about um, I, I think first of all working with people um, I think it's very important if you have a medical training then you learn to work with people um, uh, one of the most important things about um, um, medic being being a medic is is being able to talk to people and when you're 18 uh, you're still very young and you grow very fast when you're driving an ambulance. Um, You, you witness a lot of uh, problems and it's not the, 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 like the, the very um, spooky ones that stick and not the very uh, 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 um, traumatic ones that stick, but it's, it's like the human interaction that, uh, that, that, that you keep in mind that, that, you rem that you remember. When you have a resuscitation, when, when somebody has a heart attack and you have to, to uh, do CPR, uh, while you're doing that, that's a very technical um, Uh, thing to do. Uh, it's it's a procedure. You follow the procedure, and it's very technical. And then, after the the resuscitation, when it, uh, for example, it did it didn't work, and and the person uh, has died, then you stand up and you see the family, and then you're confronted with 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 uh, the human emotions and with uh, with uh, the grief. And uh, when you're 18 years old, then um, it's uh, it's uh, yeah, you grow up very fast uh, experience experiencing that. So um, I think one another thing I learned uh, by by driving the ambulance uh, from my 18 uh, years old uh, is is that I learned how to um, stay very calm when everything goes wrong. Uh, so when you're driving the ambulance, you're with two people, and you're not going. You're, sometimes you're going to big big disasters, but most of the time you're going to small incidents. But when you're uh, with two guys uh, driving an ambulance, going to a small incident, uh, you have to manage it. And you're on your own, uh, and you have to do it. So, um, and then you learn to stay very calm in difficult situations, in complex situations, and it's something I still have. Um, when when thing go, things go wrong, I become uh, more calm. Uh, the bigger the incident, the calmer I get. The more stress there is, the calmer I get. I can get very excited and and and, and stressful from small things, and become very calm during a big incident. Well, that's that's in in your line of work. I guess that that's quite a, I should I say that's uh, that's what people are looking for, right? Uh, somebody who can do that in in those under those circumstances. But but the thing is that most of my colleagues uh, have that uh, skill. Uh, so I think it's something either it's it's a reason to join the fire service uh, or it's something that is that that you develop uh, being in the service. I don't know. Maybe it's an interaction between the both. 
which which brings me actually to the to the current situation, which we could def- we see definitely a lot of people struggle with that. Uh, we're right now in the middle of the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, honestly, when I watched the outbreak unfold first while I was in Italy, then made my way back to Belgium. It was kind of surreal for, for a variety of reasons. Um, I couldn't help but feel like many people, mm-hmm. I guess, as, as if you've been parachuted into a bad disaster movie. Uh, but at the same time, also, um, <laughs> yeah. I found myself almost in the, the serious game that we at Pantopicon designed for you in order to raise awareness amongst your, your firefighting <laughs> uh, team members. Uh, about the different types of disasters they might face in the in the future, which the pandemic was actually yeah. one of them. Uh, could, could you tell us what was your reaction when you watched it all unfold? Um, I, I had the same reaction, um, certainly about about the fact that we we uh, we um, had this, uh, this 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 scenario in our uh, in our series game that we developed together with you um, and and. Uh, I don't know why it, uh, it 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 came into the, the scenarios of the game. Um, I think it was uh, Stefan, a colleague of yours, that uh, that came up with 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 the fact that uh, you know uh, WHO is um, is uh, working on this disease X and it will happen one day. And Bill Gates is doing this, so it has to be in the scenarios. And and as a fire service, you have to think about what you go what you're going to do when there's a disease X uh, happening and so on and so on. And I thought, okay, uh, Stefan, if you if you say so, uh, let's keep it in the in the in the series game. And um, uh, we played it uh, a couple of times uh, during the last uh, fire service conference, so it was very fresh in in, in my mind. And then suddenly um, there was this real pandemic, so we, we uh, it 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 wasn't such a big surprise when it happened. It felt like okay, we, we've seen this before, but um, looking back five weeks now, I don't think we saw this before. Uh, a lot, a lot has happened that we didn't expect. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought about the scenario uh, very much. Um, and then the other thing about the bad disaster movie, yeah, that's uh, something very recognizable. I mean, you, you mentioned it, right? <clears throat> on the one hand, you've seen it. On the other hand, you've you've seen a glimpse of it. But while reality, it always trumps the fiction. Huh? What happens a lot in in our line of work is that people, when you confront them with such a scenario, a lot of people say, "Ah, that's never going to happen," or "Why? Why do you make us go through this exercise? It's it's ridiculous," and then it hits them, and it's um it's a, it's a a different reaction that you get. Did you did you see that also in uh, in some of your colleagues? That shift of mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not going to say that I that I saw this all coming because uh, if I if I look back and I'm very honest in a, even even uh, like a week before uh, the, the the lockdown, I was still thinking um, yeah, maybe it's something like a flu. But what's what's going what's really going on? I couldn't make sense of it all, um, and I, I was on on the side of the people that were a bit skeptical. Um, but on the other hand. Um, I also I recognize this feeling of of not of not being able to make sense, and then uh, there's this, like this small alarm going off. Um, but I I really couldn't make sense of it. And then when I saw, um, I, I think the information flow from uh, Wuhan was not very clear. But once we saw information coming from from Italy, and we saw um, some of the early reports from uh, from uh, medical staff in in uh, in in, uh, in the north of Italy. Um, and then, then something 
struck me then then I thought okay but this is this is serious and this is not going to stop in Italy this is going to come here um, but the moment I uh, had this 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 insight uh, already a lot of our um, of our people were in Italy skiing um, and I think uh, that we all had the same feeling oh uh, what's going to happen now they're all going to come back and then we have a problem here and uh, then it went very fast um, and, and I must say that, that I um, that there was one person that helped me uh, get the insight and it was a philosopher. Um, so there was a philosopher that, that really said to me, okay, but this is something completely different. You have to look at it. It was not a, a medical trained person. It was a um, philosopher working on e economical philosophy. And he said, this is, this, this looks very much like uh, the financial crisis in 2008. This is, uh, this is, um, this is a big one. Uh, this is what, what we call a fat tail uh, incident where, um, where you have a, a very big incident that is a lot bigger than you could expect um, um, just by looking at history and, and statistics. So uh, uh, it's very strange to say that, that, that it was a philosopher that gave me the insight. Um, and I'm, I don't believe people that say, I, I saw this coming from in January. Nobody saw this coming. Uh, no, at least not at the scale that it uh, had developed. You mentioned it, that parallels are drawn all the time. Uh, uh, your philosopher drew the parallel with the with the economic uh, crisis. It seems like people draw parallels with, with the crises that preceded them in the field that they're coming from. So uh, some in the medical field, they compare it to the, uh, the Spanish flu, um, others to the economic crisis. Um, what, what in your um, perception makes this crisis so different from the other ones you or we as a society faced, uh, faced before? There's a differentiator between um, um, incidents that are um, difficult to manage, um, the, the big fires we have, um, for example, in, in a port, um, and, and uh, the very complex, uh, maybe even wicked uh, problems uh, that we face, and that's the exponentiality uh, of the incident. And so... Um, uh, I think it's very interesting to, to compare it with something completely different. Um, if you um, if you put 100 people together in a room and you measure measure their length, um, then what you can expect the difference between the, the the smallest person in the room and the tallest person in the room isn't going to be that very big. And by adding uh, maybe the largest person in the world, uh, the, the 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 mean uh, will not change that much. But if you uh, measure their wealth, um, their their the amount of money they have, you put 100 people in a room and they are average people, uh, you, you get a measurement. But if you put the, the richest person, uh, Jeff Bezos, in a room and then you measure the mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's just going through the roof. It's exponential. Um, and, and that's also um, what happens with, uh, with these type of incidents. And um, with, with, for example, uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, it's something that's going uh, through the roof. It's, it's way bigger than you can expect. It's uh, not comparable to anything else that we already experienced. Um, and, and that's, that's really the different, uh, difference between, um, between normal incidents and these kind of wicked problems. Uh, so comparing them to something that happened in the past is not that good of an idea because you can't compare them to anything that ever happened before. In, in your um, in your opinion, does it does it um, especially since you also have to engage with people from from other fields in order to manage this this crisis? Um, since everybody's referring to things that they know from their background, 
do you feel like we lack a kind of of common ground? Is it are these different referential points making it more difficult to find that common ground, or is it uh, is something else going on? So, so what we mainly have right now is the fact that we 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 look at this crisis as a medical crisis, um, and that's a good thing to do f- certainly in the first weeks, because then our main problem was the fact that hospitals were going to be f- searched um, and that you really had to to deal with that. Um, to prevent that 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 people with a with minor uh, problems like uh, like like small heart attack were not going to be able to to be helped um, uh, in a hospital. So that was was the first problem. But uh, by by doing this lockdown, we we created a lot of new problems um, and, um, and 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 problems that have very different uh, that need very different approaches. So. Um, now you have the economical problems and you have the psychosocial problems. You have all the people uh, sitting at home uh, without contact with other people. And so uh, the psychological uh, side becomes very important. You have, you have, you have people um, in poverty. Um, you also have the difficulty uh, of people living in a city uh, without uh, a garden or without uh, a lot of, of space to go outside. They are stuck in a small apartment with, with a lot of uh, children and and. It must be very difficult. So these kind of problems. Then you also have the the the, the problem of people wanting to um, to to um, um, to experience uh, their religion, for example. And so you have the Ramadan, you have the Pesach. Um, all of these problems become uh, be, suddenly become important. So the, the thing is, it's not only a medical problem anymore. And, and still, um, a lot of people are looking at it uh, from a medical uh, perspective. And so I think we have to broaden that perspective. Uh, and that's a publication we did last week, together with some researchers about, about the fact that you have to look at this uh, from a network perspective and, and um, uh, um, have uh, other uh, scientists and, and other experts jo- join uh, and get a more broader view on the problem uh, than we do right now. So I think it's mainly a problem of, of having the, the broad um and, and, and complete look uh, at uh, the crisis. What, what in your uh, opinion is, is, or in your experience, is uh, um, this sideways way of, of looking at it uh, from, uh, from other experts from other fields that enlightened you most in the past weeks? Well, like I said, uh, and I think it's a very good example, the, the fact that I was inspired that this was something completely different by a philosopher. Um, um, who I, I think um, was uh, never uh, involved in crisis management before, but still it gave me very good insights. Uh, but also I talked to, uh, to, to people uh, in other countries with information managers, with, uh, with innovation experts, with uh, people managing the crisis in other countries, with, um, with all different uh, people. And I think um, uh, a lot of them gave me insights uh, because because uh, what you have to do in this type of uh, of, of crisis is have uh, this broad perspective and and get um, get insights from all different fields and, and try to uh, mix this together into uh, in, in, to some solutions because you don't have the solution. Uh, it's a bit trial and error. It's uh, it's. Um, uh, more like an agile process to manage a crisis and uh, by getting more insights then your your perspective broadens and, and you, you get better ideas to, to, to solve problems. Yeah, I, th- I think we even see politicians grow through, go through the same cycles right now, right? That the, the progressive insight, I mean, a lot of people were uh, kind of like uh, flabbergasted or astonished. They said, well, you saw all this happen in Wuhan, you saw it happen in Italy. Uh, now on the other side of the Atlantic, we see people having the same like uh, delayed response 
to something that, in their case, a month ago uh, happened uh, on the other side of the of the ocean. It's um, is is that as well a kind of um, different approach or a or a different way of approaching reality or or being in a reality bubble, uh, as some say that uh, that's really much linked to the circle they're in or the people they talk to? I, I do think so because I, I think it's, it has to do with, um, with uh, um, the way you look at the world. And, and um, I think the last years and certainly since the, 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 the financial crisis um, and, and even before, uh, everything uh, has to be about efficiency. Um, and it's a good thing. Um, it it, it um, brings us wealth. Um, companies are organized very much in, um, in, 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 in terms of efficiency, but also the government is. Uh, the government is, has, has done a lot uh, to work on uh, an efficiency. And I think um, to be able to deal with these kind of incidents, um, you have to have a more naturalistic approach. Uh, you have to build in some redundance. And what you see is that uh, if nature wants to manage risks, it often does that by uh, by bringing redundance, um, doing things twice or three times, um, and and I think that that is that is the mind shift we have to make after this crisis. Once we are we are back on our feet, uh, the next normal, we have to build in some inefficiency, um, and and we have to build in some redundance in our society to be able to cope with these kind of uh, of incidents. Not everything has to be. Uh, 100% efficient. Um, I always make this comparison uh, to stay in the medical uh, area with our body. Um, you have the red blood cells and the white blood cells, and I'm making uh, this very, very simple. Uh, it's it's too simple actually, but you have the red uh, blood cells and the and the and the white blood cells. And um, when you're not sick, you could change all the white blood cells with with red blood cells. It would be very much much more efficient. You you um, your body would be able to bring more uh, uh, oxygen around. Uh, but if you have an attack, you're you're going to be too slow to uh, to counter the attack, and so your body keeps the white blood cells um, active also when you're not uh, when you're not sick, and um, that's what we uh, try to do in as a fire service in society. And, and I already uh, started this process some some years ago to change uh, the vision on what a fire service has to be from a service that responds to uh, to to incidents to a service that helps society to be uh, as com- continuous as possible um, to, to be able to uh, to cope with uh, stress and with, with uh, attacks in, in different forms. Eh? Attacks don't have to be uh, like terrorism or, or shooters, but um, with, with different kind of attacks and, and, and try to get everything back on, on, on its feet as soon as possible so uh, society can uh, function as continuously as possible. It reminds me of some earlier conversations we had in which you called uh, yourselves uh, uh, in the future you would be a or even now, you're a service for societal continuity management, you called it. I thought it was a very uh, uh, fascinating but very uh, sharp term as well. Where do you draw your inspiration from when it comes to filling in that role? I, I get my um, my inspiration from uh, very different uh, places. Um, first of all, talking to a lot of people, um, uh, I, I think uh, it's very interesting as a practitioner to, to work together and to talk to academia. Um, I try to do this uh, on, a, on a constant basis. Uh, we also have this program with the Antwerp Fire Service where we uh, just um, pay a university, the Antwerp Management School, to help us do research. And just uh, without, without an, um, 
the real end goal. Uh, we just say, okay, uh, look at our organization and try to um, uh, to figure out some things. Um, what is interesting, and they're mainly working on this uh, network management and uh, and governance of network of networks and how to deal with technology and so on. So I I, I think I really believe in this cooperation between uh, between academia and, and, uh, and fire service or academia and uh, practitioners, but also I talk a lot with uh, people uh, in, in the industry and and, uh, and, and, and in the innovation. Um, people that are working on technology of, of the next years. So they, they give me a lot of inspiration. And, that, and then I, I think on the on the basis of that, it is important uh, to read a lot um, and to read good things, uh, not not um, management books, I think. I think you have to, uh, but it's my opinion. It's a very personal opinion. Uh, I think it's important to read philosophy and to read uh, the original thinkers. And um, uh, I also get a lot of inspiration from uh, from one of the godfathers in this in this area, that is uh, Nicholas Taleb, uh, who is a uh, very well renowned author, of course, of, uh, of the Black Swan uh, and fragility skin in the game. Uh, and I think he really has uh, some some very interesting things to say about this uh, this crisis. So um, my inspiration comes from very different fields, uh, but I think it's important to 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 mix that all together and to blend it into a type of vision you have to have on on uh, on the fire service, but also on crisis management and on uh, on on how a government has to deal with uh, with safety in uh, in, in society. Uh, and then I came with uh, with the idea that that we have to that we can look at society as as like an organism, a city. Uh, in smart city, also um, is often uh, projected as as an organism, and an organism has to be um, active uh, on a continuous basis. Um, uh, if, if it stops moving, if it stops being active, if continuity stops, then then the organism dies. So um, you have to have. Um, processes and, and systems and structures and organizations within that city or within that society that help um, to, 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 to uh, that help get society uh, continues and, 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 and help um, deal with with, with uh, attacks uh, on that continu- continuity what are in your opinion in your experience or in your uh, perception especially nowadays um, what are some of the the missing links according to you that would allow us to uh, preserve that continuity in a better way than we do today? I think it's in the small things. Um, I don't think we have to build, um, we have to build a very big uh, crisis management uh, um, because what, what, what we will do then, it's what we saw after uh, the Brussels attacks, um, uh, the terroristic attacks in Brussels. Uh, what you're doing if you build a very big crisis service and, and, and if you uh, adapt your services to that to that crisis, you're just preparing for the last crisis. And of course, you have to learn from crises. If, if something went wrong, like um, like the fact that in, in Belgium we had a shortage of uh, pr- protective material like masks and, and, and face shields and so on, uh, you, of course, you have to learn from that and you have to build up your um, your stocks. Um, um, but it's all in the small things. You have to... You have to um, be very aware of of, of uh, all your uh, uh, um, weaknesses and, and and the flaws in the system and where it can go wrong and you have to be constantly very attentive to that. So so I think first of all uh, we have to build in more uh, situation awareness about society. Where, where can things go wrong? If we if we, for example, if we build a smart city, uh, it's not so difficult to imagine that this smart city can be hacked and can can. And that everything that you automate and where you where you um, uh, affect people's lives uh, by 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 hack it can be used in an, in an opposite way and, and help 
be used to, to, to make people's life more, lives more difficult. So the first thing you have to do is be aware about that. And so the first, you mentioned it before that a lot of people say, oh, what, what are you working on? It's not never going to happen and so on. And it's also something Taleb uh, describes in, in his work, uh, in its work where he calls it the, the opposite Turkey. Uh, Turkey, um, he says, um, uh, is, is fed, fed thousand days by, by his owner. Uh, and he thinks uh, my owner is a very good guy. He, he gives me food and, 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 his, uh, and everything goes right. And then suddenly it's Christmas and then the black swan incident happens. And uh, so that he calls it the opposite of the turkey. That's somebody who says uh, all the time, um, it's not going to happen um, and, 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 and incidents are not going to happen and you're not going to uh, be lucky or unlucky and so on. That, that denies the the the. the the luck or the, the, the statistical statistical chance that something uh, very big is going to uh, happen in, in either uh, direction, um, and so um, I think we 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 have to build in that that awareness uh, of, of the fact that things go wrong. I got a very good example of that in um, in New York, where um, uh, high level um, people from from safety and security services uh, come together on a regular basis. And they try to imagine uh, where can we be attacked, um, or where can New York City be attacked? Um, uh, now let's let's try to imagine what would happen if somebody came from the water. Where where would you attack? Where would you attack? And so by doing this, you create this 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 um, awareness of of the fact that things can go wrong, and and you learn a lot. And then you have to build in uh, all these small um, redundancies in 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 organizations. Um, very small things that 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 maybe uh, in, in in the short term cost you a lot of money, but in the long term help you to deal with uh, with 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 um, uh, uh, strikes you get and, and attacks you you get. Yeah, there is a fascinating element in the, the the military metaphor that seems to pervade a lot of the ways in which we deal with these uh, things, and also the ways we describe them. You, you talk about an attack. You talk about, I mean, which which almost assumes. Um, that there's always an intentional threat and that you can uh, position yourself on the side of, uh, of those, uh, th those planning or plotting it. But in, in, in some of which we're experiencing right now, there, there wasn't really an, an intentional threat, just something that happens. With climate change, it's the same thing. I mean, of course, there's a, we're contributing to it. I mean, also now there's quite a lot of uh, interesting research coming out of how the way the ways in which we uh, actually drive animals out of their natural habitats by the way that we're uh, that we're um, actually uh, distributing ourselves across the planet and our activities as well. So, um, on the one hand, there's the metaphor that seems to put us in a certain kind of mindset that allows us to see certain threats, but perhaps not equip ourselves against others. Um, and on the other hand, there's this, um, these, these emergent factors that, that seem to pop up, um, which, is, which is difficult to prepare for. But at least, as you say, intentionally trying to come up with these scenarios might help you to prepare at least in some. Yeah, uh, maybe the word attack isn't uh, the right word. On the other hand, um, when it's not only a military uh, um, term because... If you look at uh, the medical area, for example, they also talk about attack by viruses and, and, and so on. So uh, it was more in that um, uh, context uh, that I that I wanted to use that word. But it's not. It's, of course, it's not always intentional. 
Um, and I think the big problems are um, often uh, non-intentional. Uh, of course, you have terrorism, you have the risk of uh, cyber attacks and hybrid uh, threats, but on the other hand, you have the, the climate change. Um, we can discuss about the fact or whether that's intentional or not, um, but still you have you have the climate change and uh, now we have this pandemic and it was um, only a, a matter of time uh, before one of these uh, uh, mega threats um, was going to uh, present us with, with a very big crisis. Um, and so it wasn't, um, I think it wasn't unimaginable that that, that one of these um, crises was going to happen, whether it was a pandemic, whether it was an, um, a, a hybrid uh, attack uh, or whether it was an, um, a very big flood uh, coming from, uh, from, uh, from, from climate change. So, um, but still, Knowing that that this risk is is there um, is, is is only the first step. Um, then um, it's a matter of uh, preparing yourself and and, and building in uh, a lot of uh, redundancy and uh, and then uh, trying to get as fragile as possible because the the attack to to, to stay in that uh, term uh, will come and um, and and it will um, it will affect you. And the the question is how well are you going to cope with it? How are you going to come out of uh, of, of of it? Uh, come out of the crisis. You mentioned redundancy as a, as a key, as a crucial factor uh, in, in a, to stay in the metaphor, to combat these, uh, these threats. Um, I guess also the, the distribution of, of information uh, or, or insight is, is just as much part of that, that equation, right? That uh, it's not just the emergency services that, that might be prepared to deal with this, but at the same time, our decision-making apparatus at the political, at the policy level, um, and in things as far off as education as we now see, or as in, in uh, the planning of elderly homes or in the, in the spatial planning. Uh, all of this, it, we need a much more holistic approach, it seems, to a lot of decision-making, whether it's a crisis situation or not. And now we, come, we become aware of those cracks in, the, in, the, in those systems, mm -hmm. perhaps even more than before. Yeah. It's a very brutal audit. Eh? They call it, uh, <laughs> um, it's sometimes called like that, a very brutal audit um, where you, you get you get insights on a, on a very bad way. Um, I think you're completely right about information. Um, information is one of the key elements of becoming uh, redundant. And, and um, what you see now is that our classical approach of uh, top-down communication and bottom-up communication is uh, just too slow to deal with the crisis. So you have to have a more like a network structure, um, an eccentric approach uh, of, of information uh, management. Um, and, and that's something that not a lot of uh, crisis organizations have uh, at this moment. And it's very difficult to achieve, um, actually, but, but uh, the information flow is one of the uh, key elements. Uh, another one uh, that I that I really see as a, as, a, as on a societal basis a very important um, uh, way to achieve uh, uh, this this resilience um, on a societal level is uh, using uh, all the, the 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 assets you have as a country and in our uh, country um, uh, the the most important asset we have is uh, thinking power uh, the brains. And what I see is that uh, that, that a lot of the, the most of the thinking uh, happens by uh, by some government officials and politicians on the top level, and maybe some experts, and which I, I, I respect very much. Um, but we miss a lot of uh, thinking power. We miss a lot of people uh, with good ideas, or we miss miss their ideas. Um, 
and uh, not much happens in, in, in crisis management or in, in government to uh, get this information from, uh, from citizens. Um, last week only, uh, 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 different universities in Belgium uh, joined forces and they asked all of their researchers, uh, what do you want to uh, tell to the, to the, to the, the crisis man management group? Uh, what, in your field of expertise, what is the relevant information for them? And uh, there were about 50 uh, researchers, uh, sorry, 130 researchers that wrote 50 papers, uh, small papers with very concrete advices uh, for, for crisis management. So you had a 212 page document. Which <laughs> I was just going to ask who's going to read still, all those in the, uh, the amount of time we have, but yeah. Yeah. Um, some, some of us did, uh, but, but it's a, uh, uh, of course, you have to find ways to uh, to deal with this, this amount of information and to get uh, to get uh, the, the most relevant things out. Uh, there are there are, uh, design you can design uh, approaches to 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 deal with that. Uh, and maybe a 212 page document is not the right uh, approach, but still, uh, you see that 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 from the bottom up you get these uh, these initiatives. Uh, but also, um, there are a lot of initiatives that that don't have to do with uh, with with academia with with thinking. Um, the, for example, the, the face mask uh, problem. Um, there are a lot of people that are sitting at home um, and are wondering, can I do something to help? And there are very easy ways to, to make your own uh, face mask. So why don't we ask people, um, make some face masks, help us. Uh, but, but in some way, um, uh, the government is, is, is um, not willing to, to do that or not uh, seeing this opportunity. Maybe it's not even uh, intentionally, but, but it's just not in our culture as, as, as government to ask help from, from citizens. No, we, it has to be the other way around. But uh, still, I think um, joining forces uh, and, and being able as a government to, to build uh, an, an, an interface between uh, you as a government and the needs you have and the needs that, that society has. And on the other hand, this, this enormous capacity of, of brains and, and hands and minds and everybody working together to, to solve this crisis, I think that would be um, a major improvement for our resilience. Uh, and so this interface uh, is, is very important. And then it brings me to one of the sessions we had with you, um, um, where we really defined the fact that the, that the fire service has to evolve to a platform uh, where um, like like uh, the 20% work with the 80% the, the effect uh, um, we, we can do ourselves. We have to do ourselves, of course. Uh, but on the other hand, is this, this long tail of work, um, this long tail of, of, of risk management, uh, there we can find other organizations to help us and even citizens to help us. Um, if you have a flood, for example, you have you just need a lot of hands to bring around uh, sandbags and so on. Uh, so so people can help us with that. But then you have to build as a government interface and something completely different than we do today. Today we do the job and uh, we have to uh, change that that mindset to building the platform where where we, um, like, like your smartphone, um, we have to, to build a smartphone and some of the most important apps on the smartphone, but then we have to uh, uh, let people build their own apps and, and, and put them on our platform. Um, that's, that's the best way to, uh, to say it. And that would be a major shift in, uh, in resilience. We'll touch upon the technology a bit later on as well. Mm. Um, it, 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 you actually redefine some of the challenges, not as just a challenge in terms of 
acquiring the right knowledge or uh, organizing yourself in the right way, but also as a societal challenge in terms of perhaps even changing the culture yeah. or adapting your culture in order to be more resilient. Mm. Uh, it can also be a cultural asset rather than, I mean, you see that in, in some of the Mediterranean countries where um, the response, the immediacy of the response in terms of helping the neighbor by or helping the elderly in your building by, as in Milan, putting a fridge down in the hallway mm -hmm. so that food deliverers can actually get to it in a safe way. Uh, that happened almost instantly. Yep. Here it took a few weeks for people to realize how to, to do that or to bring up the courage to do that because it's culturally a bit more of a distant culture than, uh, than in the Mediterranean yeah. countries. It's, 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 it's a cultural uh, thing, of course. Um, But yeah, I, I I think you can't prepare for a crisis like this in terms of uh, of trying to um, to we we can't see into the future, um, so we can't predict the next crisis. But we can um, we can try to imagine what what will be the the the, the, the attributes of that crisis um, and where we have uh, flaws and weaknesses in our society and try to uh, to adapt those uh, to the next crisis and become more resilient to it. And I think that will be the, the main challenge for us because this will not be the last crisis we face. Um, uh, you talked about climate change. You talked about uh, we talked about cyber and so on. And these are real threats that still are out there. And we had the first uh, glimpse of them uh, in some of the of the communities in Belgium that were hacked and some companies that were hacked. And we have the, the first effects of climate change by by experiencing more heavy storms in in, in Belgium. So we see them coming. Uh, they're like small uh, rhinos coming uh, to us, um, but very slowly. So we have to to figure a way to get out of their way, I, I guess. Um, but uh, they're coming, and so the, the the threats are there. So we have to do this as a society and uh, and try to change uh, the way we deal with with, with these uh, threats. Which which I think is is I think it's one of these elements that you just mentioned that makes this pandemic uh, as a crisis moment, uh, a fascinating one. Um, Professor Scott Galloway, I think uh, last week, said COVID-19 is not a game changer. It's an accelerant <laughs> of what was already yeah. there. I would say it's almost like a contrast fluid that makes it painstakingly clear where some of the cracks in our most basic systems, the pillars of our society yeah. in which we've built it, uh, are. So... Um, Uh, speaking with uh, people in the, um, in architecture and spatial planning and urban planning, for example, they say, we've been yelling this for ages. There's not enough green space yeah. for people to uh, to lead healthy lives. Um, we do not foresee for all kinds of facilities that in case of a disaster, yeah. people can actually still come together. Yeah. So there's, there's plenty of these things that have been, I would say almost dormant for the majority of people, at least a lot of people in the decision-making yeah, positions, uh, which are now coming to the to the surface. So I, I guess the question um, that is raised for uh, for a lot of people is: uh, you keep yelling at us, we we're going to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to go back to normal the way it was. We want to move forward yeah. to something better. Um, to how do you look upon that from uh, from from your perspective? Yeah. I I think it's very double. Um, I also hope that we evolve to a next normal. Uh, on the other hand, um, I don't know whether because because the human is is very uh, <laughs> uh, um, it doesn't like to change. So um, 
the chance is that we just uh, bounce back to uh, to the way it was and that we, we keep doing things like they were. But on the other hand, I think the crisis is quite big. So um, there will be some places where you will see uh, a lot less uh, tight coupling. Um, like uh, the way we we, um, um, we concept our uh, elderly homes. Um, I don't think we will build any more elderly homes that, 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 that are this big. Um, or if we build them, we're going to um, make smaller communities within um, these elderly homes. So you have uh, you have social distance built in into the building because the virus is here to stay. There will be other pandemics. There will be other risks. So you have to you have to uh, build this in in the, in the structure of an. Or for the sake of coziness, I would say it's also more cozy to have smaller communities. Yeah, yeah, but but true, it, it's also there. Yeah. Um, and uh, but but this is this is this is the discussion about efficiency and, and, and resilience that we talked about uh, and 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 why are our elderly homes built the way they are built today because of efficiency reasons, um, and 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 we have to go back to in, like the cozy um, elderly home or keeping people longer uh, at their houses. Um, so so I think resilience is 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 something that comes with a lot of advantages um, and it brings us. Uh, uh, back to our to our human nature, um, and then that's 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 it's not only about um, about uh, crisis management. It's about uh, the way we structure a society. And for example, if you now look at um, at, at uh, the problem uh, in cities where uh, a lot of young people um, are not following the rules that the government set, because uh, why if you're if you're 16 years old why would you stay in your apartment small apartment when you can be outside with your friends um, and the virus is something abstract that is that is out there so um, I think we have to to build in into our society um, uh, space and, and and room for these kind of people where, where they can go outside and and, uh, and be together with their friends but still do that in in, in a way that it, that is that is safe and that uh, doesn't uh, uh, fasten the spread of like a virus, but it's not only about the virus. Imagine that you have a cyber attack and and and, and all technology is down. Then we have the same effect. Um, then then also uh, we will have these kind of problems in cities. I mean, you already mentioned the danger, right? That you said let's let's not overfocus on this crisis mm -hmm. in order to build a more resilient society. No. Uh, it's just uh, we have to make an abstraction of that as well. Yeah. That's why I, I translate it to to. Um, that's why I talk about about uh, um, going away from tight coupling. You have to go to loose coupling, uh, because if your systems are, are uh, tied together, uh, if if one of uh, your system fails, it brings down uh, a lot of uh, the other systems. So you have to uh, untighten the coupling, um, and um, that 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 is more like a generalistic approach to uh, to to crisis management. You look at a crisis and you see, okay, what are the general attributes of this crisis? Uh, what is important uh, to take along to, to next uh, crises. And I think this is one of them. Um, uh, so I, I don't think we have to prepare for the next pandemic. Um, of course, we have to do some some things better than uh, than this time. But uh, I think it's it's um, it's called a second order learning. Um, you have to look beyond the first and, and, and very um, obvious uh, learning elements and you have to look deeper and see what are the, what are the, the, the systems um, uh, supporting the uh, the fact that it went wrong, what are the underlying uh, structures, uh, and you have to look at them too. Yeah, I think I think what you mentioned uh, now is is one of the things that I've heard perhaps 
most at least among uh, in, in my circle of friends and relatives is that a lot of mm. people uh, after they've after they went through a phase of, of, of shock I would say they, they they say well I'm actually grateful for the way it's uh, it pushed me into a state of slow thinking again of taking a step back of reflecting yeah. on what it is that not just the situation we're in now, but what we were doing before and what we want uh, next time. Mm -hmm. It's just the frustration some of them feel right now is that there's still uh, a large chunk of the population or, or people, especially in people that have a lot to lose by losing the old way of doing things, um, mm -hmm. that try to pull them back into that, um, uh, into that the, the old way of doing things, I would say. Um, so there, there's this kind mm -hmm. of like, weird balancing point uh, which we're at uh, right now in terms of uh, moving forward or continuing into a next phase or being pulled back again into an old uh, kind of logic. Yeah. I, I, I hear a lot of people also in, uh, in my surroundings that, that are actually sometimes very happy about uh, being uh, more at home, being more together with their children. Um, of course, it brings uh, new difficulties because if you have young children and you, then, 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 um, and you have to do your work, then it's not that easy to combine those different tasks. So um, what, what I hope is that we, um, we look beyond some of the, the problems we had, for example, uh, with the, with the pre-teaching that we have now, um, where parents have to be an employee and parent and teacher and all of this together, and it's just not possible. Uh, but on the other hand, um, we, we, we look beyond those problems and we see the advantages that, 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 that for example, uh, working from home uh, has uh, not all the time. It's not, I, I don't think it's possible uh, to work at home all the time, but, but maybe a bit more. It's good for traffic. It's good for uh, your focus and concentration. Uh, for some of the tasks you have to do, it's a very good way to work. And so um, a good uh, balance between working at home and working from the office can, can be a very good thing for society. Um, and I hope those kind of things will, will, will change after this crisis and more companies will be open for uh, some uh, work from home. It will solve a lot of the other problems we have. Absolutely. I, w I was reading an, um, an Italian paper the other day, which, which talked about the, the other element of, of looking forward, of, about the things that might never return the way we need to the way or the state mm -hmm. in which we knew mm -hmm. them. Uh, so that the, the one things that were linked to the pre-COVID-19 era, I would say. Um, do you see some of those things? I mean, whether it's a hope or a realization, uh, do you consider this a possibility <laughs> at, at all? I was, I was just thinking about some things where, what do I hope that never comes back? I can imagine some things. Such as? <laughs> uh, yeah, really. <laughs> no, I'm not going to go into that. Your wife's listening, right? <laughs> I, one of the one of the well, absolutely one of the things is uh, is is, is um, it's uh, we are very focused now. Um, we are in this together, solving a very big problem, and it brings together a lot of people. And um, for me, my personal situation, it is it's really strange to be um, focusing on only one thing, um, one thing only, uh, trying to to uh, help uh, together with a very big team. Uh, help uh, solving the crisis um, and dealing with the, with the effects of the crisis in our organization, um, and um, 
another team within our organization is is managing the organization on a day-to-day basis uh, and in the past I, I had to look at both of those things and um, my days uh, two months ago ago my days were, were very diverse extremely diverse um, every half hour I had another meeting on another topic on another subject um, that, that was one of the f- most exhaustive things um, that I experienced in the, in the first days I was I was the fire chief uh, that was was it was so exhausting to to be dealing with all these problems, all the different problems all day long. And now, after some years in the in the job, it's the first time that I experienced to be focused again, uh, to be focused on one crisis during uh, or one uh, problem during a, a longer time. And, and it's really which perhaps touches upon all these different aspects as well. It's just more concentrated. Yeah, it's it's concentrated absolutely. Um, but still, we we. If I look at my organization, we still have some um, pre-COVID uh, stuff to deal with, uh, and it's still there. It's not gone. Only we we managed to organize ourselves um, because we were prepared uh, for that uh, to be able to deal with a crisis, a big crisis, uh, one that is affecting society, but also our, or our organization, and still be able to be uh, to be active on on on, on uh, to be continuous um, because there are still fires uh, and there are still accidents and there are still people uh, uh, in need of help so we have to be able to uh, to to help them and so you still have to um, buy stuff to do that and you still have to pay the 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 wages of your staff so everything has to go on and so we had to to manage those three things together um, the con- continuity of our own organization continuity of the society and um, the, the just day-to-day business, so um, that was quite a challenge. But by doing that, now we 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 we, um, we have different responsibilities for those different problems, and so it uh, helps me uh, uh, being very focused on uh, only one uh, one problem, and I, I like that very much. And um, I think that can uh, that's one of the things I, I hope uh, that that uh, would stay after the crisis, but I'm not sure that will happen. <laughs> There's this um, this saying. I, I guess it was uh, Rahm Emanuel who, who mentioned, "Never let a good crisis go to waste." What are mm. what are your hopes in terms of these big systemic societal changes that this crisis might bring along or forces to uh, to reassess our current situation? Yeah, I mentioned a lot of them. Um, I, I think in first first place is um, uh, that, that that will be my personal goal. Uh, or target is, is the fact that we have to be better at uh, involving uh, citizens, involving uh, just lay people in in, um, in our crisis management, and uh, just people want to help. It gives them it gives them a sense of belonging uh, in the crisis. If you if you can uh, make your own mouth, uh, face mask and then and then make one for your neighbor as well, then you're doing something very uh, useful, and you feel. Like you're contributing to, to to society in a very practical uh, manner, and I think people need that right now. So it's not only um, a matter of, of 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 solving a problem; it's also a matter of giving people a sense of belonging and a sense of being being very useful to uh, to, to crisis management. And so, think, so I think I, we really have to be better at that, and um, we will not need that in our day to day work, but we will need that uh, in the next crisis, in the next uh, next big crisis, and we have to be better at at that. So that I think that's that's one of the main goals. Um, and and um, then I hope um, we um, 
we will uh, take this need for our resilience and for um, for for looser coupling of of systems uh, into account um, when we build new things, uh, whatever it is, uh, whether it is a new uh, high rise building, whether it's it is a new uh, elderly home, whether it's a new fire station, for example. Um, uh, we really have to take this into account in in, in everything we do. Um, the way we structure our companies, the way we structure society, we have to we have to take this into account. And, and I really hope that this crisis um, will lead to some insights on that and some change of uh, of, of of perspective. Right. Um, we mentioned before that technology is is quite an important element in in uh, not just. Uh, managing overcoming this uh, this crisis but also um there, there's some worry around as well that we say okay if we want to guarantee a kind of societal continuity uh technology can definitely definitely there's definitely place for technology in, in helping us do that mm-hmm. uh but the the worry of some people right now is that those who might benefit or become even stronger through this crisis are exactly those that handful or there's two handful of, of technology companies that were already strongest right now. So you get, you're, you're not building redundancy. You're actually making it even more narrow. Um, what's your, yeah. uh, your take on that? Uh, Bert? Yeah, that's like the, the metro effect eh, where you get, uh, the ones who have get, uh, get the most, um, yeah, I, I, I see that happening. Um, and, and I also see that, uh, that happening in some of the decisions we make, uh, that are not always, uh, uh good decisions. I think, uh, for example, um, this weekend, um, um, the, they opened, uh, some stores and it were mainly the very big DIY stores that they opened. I know it's kind of an experiment to see what would happen, uh, if we open some stores, but on the other hand, um, by doing that, um, we, uh, we also decided not to open the, the, the fabric of small stores, uh, the, the very broad uh, of, um, an extended fabric of all those small, small stores that really make the basic of our, uh, of our local economy. And so um, by coincidence, I have, I have family that is uh, active. Um, uh, they, they have a small or a small, it's, it's, it's a bigger, but, but still a small uh, bicycle store. And, those people, they, they, they have real problems. Um, they, they, uh, can't open and so on. And, and on the other hand, they are, uh, the best place, uh, to guarantee social distancing. So, um, I, I think we have to be, um, uh, a bit more pr- protective, uh, towards our, uh, own stores. And, um, I know a lot of people are, um, um, asking us to, to buy locally. And, uh, and I think we have to do that. A bit more, but we also have to think in a broader perspective about what are the strategic um, production capacities we want in uh, in Belgium, but also in Europe. Uh, I, I still believe in the European Union, even though there 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 are some um, so, some things happen that 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 I think are not good for the European Union. But okay, that's very very macro level. Um, but I think we have to think about the strategic capacities we want to have in our uh, in our part of the world. Um, and I don't think it would be a good idea to um, to produce everything in, uh, in in other countries or in other continents. And I have to we have to think about what we want to keep here. So that those are very important questions we have to ask ourselves, because then we will 
also pay more for the products we get probably, uh, but they will be products um, produced here and available to us when things go wrong. So uh, those are very, very uh, important question, questions to ask. I've, I've, I mean, you mentioned the, the DIY stores. I've never seen as many traffic jams today as when the McDonald's opened. It was <laughs> in my own time, they were like traffic jams all over the place, police interventions because they couldn't manage the flow of people. It's ridiculous. We, we should, the cultural shift is perhaps on the culinary level rather than. Yeah, the, yeah. But, but the same happened in uh, recycling parks in, uh, in, in, in uh, Flanders and with the DIY stores and uh, still those were uh, very short moments uh, often of, of, uh, of congestion. Um, and then I, I think some people just don't understand it and okay, it's, it's, it's what happens uh, in society. Uh, but still most people um, um, are very, um, um, or listen very well to the, to the, to the uh, rules and to the, to the advices we give. And I think we only need to, um, to have a, like an, um, punishments and, and, and fines for for a very small proportion of the of the population because I think most people just understand what's going on and, and, and act like it yeah yeah true it's, unfortunately the that that small minority that keeps getting a lot of media attention which yeah. perhaps distorts our view a little bit um, you mentioned a very interesting point I think is not just the role of Europe as such but the fact that maybe if you want to guarantee societal continuity in the, in the future, um, there's this question of whether it is within that same society that you can always guarantee that continuity. In a way, Europe as a construction was a kind of a guarantee for continuity mm -hmm. in, in, in terms of not waging wars amongst the countries anymore after it yeah. happened. So um, perhaps there's, I mean, I, I guess we can, can agree that there's a huge opportunity in trying to... Uh, to also touch that scale, whether it's the European, the international, the global mm. scale. Um, whether, we're going to need that for the climate change uh, challenge as well, right? Mm. Yeah, it's true. I, and I, I really believe in, in the European model. Um, I think if you look at uh, the way you have to deal with complex uh, problems and, and, and complex systems, then and you really believe that it's not about efficiency, not only about efficiency, because efficiency, of course, has, has some uh, things to do in it. But uh, if you look at the European Union and you see uh, different approaches um, in the way you, you structure your country, in, in the way you structure your, your healthcare system uh, or your, uh, the, the, the way you make your decisions. And, and um, I think looking at in, uh, to Europe as a whole, that is a very strong asset to deal with this kind of crisis. Because if one country has problems, um, then probably another country has organized itself in another way that gives it a bit a bit um, more space but then my critique on the European Union is the fact that we didn't use that 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 um, that buffer um, some countries had capacity left and other countries were in in trouble um, and and there was like this this attitude in some countries not all of them in some countries where you saw that that no we're shutting our borders down um, Okay, if you want to shut your borders down because you want to limit the 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 the, the, uh, the, the transport people do and, and, and the travel they do, that that in this crisis is a good a good thing to do. But to shut your borders down um, for uh, intensive care patients, um, that's not a good idea, I think, because if you have some capacity left, um, why not help each other? And, uh, and there, I think the European Union has, uh, has failed um, in, in its crisis management, um, even though it had the best um, uh, 
the best uh, starting position, in my opinion, because of its diversity. And if you want to solve complex problems, you can do it by diversity and not by uh, by a single very efficient approach. It, it was a, a wasted opportunity in, in, in that sense. Uh, but um, I, I think there's, it also brings to mind at least something that, that I felt and along with me quite a few people, I guess, is at, especially early on in the crisis, there was a lot of eerie rhetoric of, of, of some leaders, both political as well as corporate, as they were weighing their options and how to deal with all of this, uh, just denying scientific or statistical or whatever facts that they had at hand for economic or electoral gain. And it, it seems like that was more persistent in a lot of cases than um, the sense of urgency to actually deal with uh, the situation and have a, a beneficial uh, outcome in the, in the end. So it did strike a painful nerve with, uh, with a lot of people uh, and it continues to do so, that there's still a lot of that rhetoric going on in the face of the obvious, basically. Yeah. But, but still, I think that, that science is one of the bigger winners of this, uh, of this crisis. Uh, and I think um, if, I, if I see how many people that look every day at the, at the figures of uh, Cianzano, at the Belgian uh, Epidemiolog Epi Epidemiological Institute, um, then, then you see that people um, really look at science and they listen to the, the, the scientists uh, talking about these figures. Uh, I think that's, that's something that we couldn't imagine a couple of months ago. Um, so I think science is a big winner, but on the other hand, uh, scientists and experts have to uh, be very careful not to step on the political uh, uh, ground. Uh, it's very difficult uh, as a scientist uh, to, to keep those two separated. And some of them do that very well, and some of them have more difficulties with that. Um, yeah, and I think if you look at the complexity of the problem, then in the end, um, you, you also need politicians to make decisions about that. And so, uh, in the end decisions have to be made by, by the politicians, but I think the, the decisions can be fed in, in very different ways, um, by experts, by the public, by, uh, different, different means. And, uh, that's something that, that, uh, that, that you really see right now, but I think science is a, is a big winner in this crisis. Uh, luckily, because it, they were losing too much the last years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's hope so. Thank you so much, Bert, for this uh, fascinating uh, conversation. It was, uh, it was really lovely to have you on board. Thank you. It was very fun to do. This was Perflections. You can find me on Twitter at Pantopinik, P-A-N-T-O-P-I-N-I-K and our Foresight and Design Studio at Pantopicon.be, P-A-N-T-O-P-I-C-O-N-B-E, without dots. <laughs>